0: It's a new year and a new chance for you to make a fresh start with your compliance. For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. This month's sponsor of 31 days to a more effective compliance program is Affiliated Monitors. Having served in over 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit this month's sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. On our last episode, we looked at what is your board's investigative protocol, and today I would like to consider What leads to a successful board investigation? Consider whether you need independent counsel. The appearance of partiality undermines the objectivity and credibility of an investigation. This means you should not use your regular counsel. And the SEC has shown that independent board members truly need to explain the need for independent counsel based upon the following factors. Did management, the board, or committees consisting solely of outside directors oversee the investigation? Did the company employees or outside persons perform the investigation? If the outside persons, have they done other work for the company? If the investigation was conducted by outside counsel, has management previously engaged such outside counsel? How long ago was the firm's last representation of the company? How often has the outside counsel represented the company? And finally, how much in legal fees has the company paid the law firm? Next, consider hiring an experienced investigator to lead the investigation. My good friend and colleague Jim McGrath wrote and spoke about the need to utilize specialized counsel in any serious investigation. If a board is leading an investigation, it is by definition serious. Your investigation needs to be led by a lawyer with significant experience in conducting internal investigations, a strong background in criminal or SEC enforcement, and have substantive expertise or experience in the area of law at issue. Next, consider the need to retain outside experts. In any investigation, there will be need for a wide variety of subject matter experts wider than simply a compliance professional. If there are accounting issues, forensic accountants might be needed. In this day and age, electronic discovery consultant is often required and can be a cost-effective option. So an IT expert may be mandatory. Next, potential analyze any potential conflicts of interest at the outset and then ongoing during the investigation. There are two types of conflicts of interest that might come to light during an investigation. The first one comes with the law firm or lawyers conducting the investigation or those who have prior, provided prior advice on some matters being investigated. During an internal investigation, the lawyers may be hired and represented the board or its committees. The second occurs when a lawyer or law firm jointly represents the board and employees at, at the company as regulators have become increasingly concerned about such joint representations. The trickier question is what to do when there is simply a risk that rep- representing one client could limit the lawyer's duties to others. In this situation, joint representations may not be appropriate. Next, carefully evaluate whistleblower allegations. Whistleblowers become, have become a more important and taking their allegations seriously is paramount. This does not mean trying to find out who the whistleblower might be to punish them or stifle them even if there are no laws protecting them in the jurisdiction which the whistleblower arose. Remember, they can get hefty bounties under the SEC whistleblower program. Regulators are very wary of boards who do not satisfactorily evaluate a whistleblower's complaint based on the perception of the whistleblower himself as opposed to the substance of the complaint. Next, request regular updates from outside counsel without limiting the investigation. These types of investigations are long and costly and can easily spin out of control. But trying to manage these costs, a the board may be perceived as placing improper limits on the investigation. The goal is to strike the right balance between the cost of the investigation and its thoroughness and credibility. To do so, flexibility is an important ingredient. The scope of what to investigate is not a static one-time decision. Every investigation can and should evolve. Next, consider whether an oral report at the conclusion of the investigation is sufficient. Where there may be instances which due to the complexity or the nature of the allegations involved a written report is necessary, there may be times when an oral report can be delivered to a board and is better than a written report, may be easier to follow and appear at the logical conclusion of an investigation. By keeping in mind these issues, the board will be better prepared for the investigation and readily able to exercise good judgment. A well-conducted investigation by the board may spare the company further disruption and costs associated with follow-on investigations by the regulators and at the very least minimize the company's exposure. So what are today's three key takeaways? Well, the conflict of interest is a clear one that needs to be dealt with early. Uh, The Many boards will want to bring in, and senior management even, will want to bring in regular company counsel for ease and speed. Never forget the example of Enron, who brought in Vincent and Elkins to investigate the work that Vincent and Elkins had done for Enron. Uh, How did that work out? It was pretty clear what the answer would be. Number two, carefully evaluate all whistleblower allegations and reject retaliation. It used to be that the evaluation of allegations was more critical, but moving forward, uh, it's at least equal and perhaps even more critical to reject retaliation. So every company must be cognizant of that. And number three, consider receiving oral reports on an ongoing basis and one lengthy oral report at the end. Uh, This could be a cost saving measure, it could be a more effective measure, it could be a way to allow you to understand uh, the parameters of what the investigation uncovered without having something in writing. So in some instances, you'll need a written report. In some instances, an oral report is sufficient. Thank you for listening to this episode of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program, where in the month of August, we're going to take a look at the role of the Board of Directors in a best practices compliance program. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, for sponsoring this month's series. This production of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join me again tomorrow.